children. Forty years he led them through the cold and through the night. Though they said, let's turn back, Moses said, keep going. Canaan land is just inside. There will be no sorrow. continue with our series here on Wednesday nights. <clears throat> Let me see if I can get this started. There we go. All right, we're dealing with great miscalculations and mistakes. And uh, again, the passage that we start with is in the book of Romans chapter 15. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. <clears throat> and so basically we're learning from the Old Testament. We're learning from others that have lived before we have and saying, hey, why, why learn the hard way? Let's learn the easy way. Let's learn from the mistakes of others, not our own mistakes. And so <clears throat> we're doing some study on great miscalculations and mistakes. We're noting some real problems in the past that we hopefully can avoid today in our lifetime. And so this past few weeks, we've been looking at a few things. <clears throat> we saw that Eve believed Satan's lie, that God was holding back blessing. We talked about Cain. <clears throat> we said how he uh, noted how he envied his brother ultimately blamed him for his circumstances, that he wouldn't take responsibility for himself or his actions. So that's a real problem. Then we noted and talked about Lot himself. We said that he made a mistake of thinking that he could get close to the world without the world rubbing off on him. Well, that was a mistake. It doesn't work that way. He thought he could flirt with sin and still remain spiritual. It doesn't work that way. At least that's the way the Bible teaches. 
Abraham, we talked about him. He grew impatient with God, took matters into his own hands. Uh, we've never done that, have we? <clears throat> then we find Aaron. Aaron, we noted, miscalculated how quickly he could get away from God. He made the mistake of turning to idols. Boy, it was amazing, wasn't it? Just 40 days, um, you know, Moses is up in the uh, mount, and next thing you know, he's crafting or molding a gold idol. Then we talked about Korah. We said Korah in his pride made the mistake of opposing God's man. Not a good idea, Korah. And then we saw Moses. <clears throat> Moses made a mistake again. He was that he would let his anger get the best of him. He miscalculated how far his anger would take him. Again, I think every one of us can probably identify with that statement. We understand our anger has taken us much further than we ever thought it would. Samson made a tremendous mistake. That he had lost, he lost sight of his source of power, which was really God. He miscalculated. How did he do that? He thought he would go out as before. The problem was God was no longer with him. And so we noted that, and we've been talking about these great miscalculations and mistakes along the way. And tonight we're going to pick up on a couple of others. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll continue. Father, we come to you, and we thank you again for just another opportunity, for the privilege we have, Lord, just to be a part of, uh, Father, this church, to be a part of your family. <clears throat> Lord, to, to take the word of God and to, to just uh, <clears throat> hear it and heed it and allow it to become part of our being. Lord, thank you, Father, for wanting to just uh, mold us and make us, to create us in the image of your Son, to, <clears throat> Father, allow us to be Christ-like. Lord, what a privilege that is. And, Lord, to think that we're mere clay, and yet, Lord, you allow us that great privilege. Now, Father, help us, Lord, tonight to learn from, from some mistakes that were made in the past, from some miscalculations that were afforded and we just ask your God that you would just be with each of us this evening. We are desperate for your leadership, your love, for your mercy, your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Tonight we want to talk about Israel for just a moment. Take your Bible if you would look over the book of Joshua chapter 1 or 9, excuse me, verse 1. Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> Guys, we, we do need this down. If you could help me with that. These guys in the front won't be able to see. <clears throat> so, Joshua chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Who's there that will help me tonight? Anybody? Just read the first eight verses. Yeah, okay, Brother Mike, great. Uh, who will read the uh, uh, from 9 to 16? Who will do that for me over here? Yeah, right there, brother. Yeah, you, yeah that'd be great. Okay, go ahead, brother. Go ahead, Brother Mike. <clears throat> Israel, who are come from a far country, now therefore must you and Israel fight. And the men of Israel said unto the Midites, Peradventure you dwell among us, and how shall we know that Israel is? And they 
was still in the Joshua, so they were all by children, and Joshua said unto them, Who are you? And from whence come you? Thank you, brother. All right. They said unto them, From a very far country thy servants have come because of the name of the Lord thy God. Mm. For we have heard of Balaam, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the Kittims of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sion, King Heshbon, and to Og, King of Bashan, which was at Ashdod. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victory from Asia's enemies, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore now make ye a league with us. This is our bread that we took hot for our provisions out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is prime, and it is morning. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, there, there be rent. And these are our garments, and our shoes are become old by reason of a very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. <coughs> Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear on them. And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors, and they that they dwelt among them. Well, again, we have this most famous story in the Bible, account in the Bible. <clears throat> we're to learn from it, we're to grow from it, we're to glean from it. And one of the things we recognize and we're going to focus on along the way is that they asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And basically they convinced themselves that what they saw was what it was. What they saw was what it was. And, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for us to do the same thing, isn't it? I mean, we see <clears throat> circumstances and situations through our fleshly eyes. And if we're not careful, <clears throat> we, see, we come to our own conclusions based on what we see with our physical eyes. It happens quite often in our lives. Israel, they had abandoned, as I put it, their safety net. You notice there's these, uh, 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 you know, trapeze artists up there. They're flying around, swinging, and doing all those different things. They got a safety net there. Israel abandoned their safety net, which was God. And they decided to go on with the show anyway. And sadly enough, if we're not careful, we find ourselves going on with the show, not including God in the process. He's our safety net. If we truly want to be safe, we truly want to be secure in our decision-making, we have to include God in every decision. He has to be the one that makes the decision for us. We often look at things, I mean, it's hard for us to imagine in our minds that, <clears throat> I guess, you know, God is not visible. He's not tangible in the sense of feeling, touching. As a result of that, we often neglect God in our thought process and in our decision-making process. He's too far, too far away. As a result of that, we make our own decision. We come to our own conclusions. We look at the situation. We look at the circumstance. We hear all the, 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 the information, the facts, if you will. We make our decision based on our understanding of the situation as we see it. Well, Israel made a glaring error here. Again, they were convinced in their own minds, and as a result of their being convinced in their own minds, they felt confident in forging ahead. Just because you feel confident or because I feel confident in my decision doesn't make it right. You have to understand that it's not your decision to make. So many times we make decisions in our life like buying cars and houses and 
who we're going to marry and uh, the, the friends we're going to keep and the folks we're going to talk to on the phone and the fo people that we're going to hang out. We say, well, this is certainly okay. I think it's fine. I have no problem with it. I'm confident this is good for me. Just because you think it's right doesn't make it right. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The fact is, is that we have a Bible and we have God on our side that outlines, defines for us what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what is best versus what is, I guess, mediocre. And you know, when it comes to making decisions, we better be very careful to include God. You can't sit down and give Him a call on the telephone. You can't sit across from Him at the desk in your, in your, your kitchen and say, hey God, what do you want me to do about this situation, this bill that's coming due? Should I rob Peter to pay Paul? Should I do this or should I do that? God's not going to give you an audible answer. But what He will do is He'll guide you and lead you through His Word. What He will do is give you godly counsel. Sometimes you may ought to talk to your pastor before you make big decisions and mess up your whole life. You know, I'm not the guy that thinks that everybody has to come to me for every decision they make. Matter of fact, I don't want you to do that. But if you are not capable of understanding what the biblical principles are, you definitely need somebody like me to help you with that. That's why God put me here. Okay, I can help you with that. That is a way of seeking counsel from God too. See, we get arrogant and prideful and we think that I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. I'm my own person. I can make my own decisions. I know what's best and I know what's good. I know what my kids need. I know what my wife needs. I know what I need. The problem is, what does God think you need? That's the real reality. What does God say you have to have? What is necessary in your life from God's standpoint, in His viewpoint? And sadly enough, if we're not careful, like these Israelites, <clears throat> we take it all in, we assess it, and we conclude some things. And we even are confident in going forward with things. And maybe we haven't even really counseled, sought the counsel at the mouth of the Lord. There are some real dangers that lurk in the night when we come to our own conclusions. When we come to our own conclusions. Someone says, I prayed about it. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Is this the kind of prayer we pray? Lord, what do you want to do about this house? You want to, you want to skin a new house? Lord, I'd really like you to get me into a new house. Lord, that house is really, it, I mean, it's, I know it's a little bit more expensive than we can afford, but Lord, just show me if you want me in that house. Just let the bank tell me that I can get in it. Just let the bank give me that loan. That's how people get in a mess. Let the bank give me the loan. That'll be proof that you're in it. Are you kidding me? Whatever happened to saying, if you said to your wife, wife, do you think we ought to buy this house? She's going to probably say, yes, no, I'm not sure. How come we, we just accept anything? Would she say, well, if the bank gives us the loan, that'll be great. If she says that, she's not praying any harder than you are. But see, we look at God and say God should just be kind of like just general. God's very specific. He's very specific. You need to pray until God says yes. Well, I bought that house because God never said no. God never told me not to. Oh, so that's a go ahead. Lord, if you don't want me to be with this girl tonight in this situation, then make sure that the car breaks down. The car didn't break down. He didn't say to do it, but he didn't say not to, obviously, because the car still runs. That's stupid. But that's how we approach life so often. Then we wonder why we get in trouble. Oh, God's in it, obviously. He didn't tell me no. 
so it must be yes. Why don't we wait for God to say yes before we move ahead? I think we'd be better off. Here's some things here. We become the final judge of our situation or circumstance when we come to our own conclusions. What we're saying is, I can do this myself. Well, that's pride. That's arrogance. To think that we don't need to require, request God or talk to God or get his opinion or get his answer, that's arrogance. That's pride. Okay? That, that's all that is. That's as simple as it is. The fact is, is when we are prayerless, we are prideful. That's just the reality of it. Pray a little, probably lean more on the pride side. Pray a lot, you're probably less prideful. Why? Because you, you need God more. You realize you're not capable, you're not able. Someone says, well, you can't judge me. I didn't judge you. I'm telling you, though, that if you don't depend on God, you're depending on probably yourself. Well, that's arrogance, and that's pride. And so we're in a real danger. we got real problems when we come to our own conclusions because we become the final judge of a situation or circumstance. I'm the pastor of Community Baptist Temple. I make a lot of decisions that affect a lot of people. Can I tell you something? I don't like making decisions. I really don't. I wish I didn't have to make any decisions. And so you want to know something? The best I can, I try not to make any. I try to let God make all of them. It's not my job to make decisions around here. It's his job. See, a lot of preachers lose their mind, and a lot of husbands lose their mind, a lot of wives lose their mind. You want to know why? Because they're trying to make all the decisions. They're bearing all the weight. They bear all the burdens. Listen, you, you can't imagine the, the, the issues. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I hope you have a budget in your home. If you don't have a budget, you need one. But we got budget coming up. I take care of this budget. Okay, I don't have a panel of people that do hours and hours of research on my behalf. I, I think this thing through. I try to really get it right. You got to understand, we've got, we got costs that you can't imagine when it comes to health care. Healthcare is going out, out the roof. I find myself uh, just losing my mind because I want to take care of these guys and these folks that are on staff at Community Baptist Temple. But here's the problem. You know, I got decisions to make. Oh, wait a second, that's right. In the long run, it's really not mine, is it? I'll lose my mind if I put all that on me. Because what happens if I can't give them the level of care that I would like to be able to give them, but because of the finances, which it's impossible at this point to even consider that. If we had a policy, get this, if we had coverage for every one of our staff, I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to fill you in on a little secret. If we did it the way you get it at work, it would cost us probably $35,000 a year minimum for our staff to have the kind of coverage you have at work. I'm trying to operate on a budget between eighteen dollars and $25,000. Now listen, I've got to figure that out. Now what happens if they go out and get something major, major problem in their life and then they get in a financial problem and I, didn't, I made the decision? Can you imagine how much guilt I would feel bearing the weight of their hurt, their heartache, because I felt I made that decision about what plan to give them or how much to put into their HSA or what to do with this or that. And here they are now in a financial mess because of the hospital bills, because I could not give them the care I'd like to, but because of just restraints, they're just literal, you can't do more than you can. I'd feel burdened. I'd feel the weight. But you know what? If I know God's the one that said, this is what you need to do, Mark, 
then I say, God, guess what? It's your problem. You, you get where I'm going? You know what? These guys right here, they couldn't say, guess what, God? It's your problem. No, it was their problem. Because they stepped in front of God. They did not include God in the decision. They didn't allow Him to make the choice. And you know, again, that's the danger. We become the final judge of a situation or circumstance. Guess what that means then? Ultimately, ultimately then, we're going to have to bear the consequences. That's a bad place to be. See, you go ahead and you, you, you get involved in a relationship with somebody and get married and never really include God. I mean, okay, I understand. Everybody prayed about it. I know that. But, but, but you did not really let God make the decision. You weren't seriously willing to let it go before you got it. And guess who's going to carry the responsibility of that? The consequence of it. You do. That was your decision, not God's. These young people think just because they pray about something, that makes it God's will. No, unless you're willing to give it up and mean it, then you really have no right to it. You, you just got to understand, God has every right to take away that which you think is most needed in your life. And the moment you're willing to give it up and God says you can have it, that's when you know it's Him, not you. And then if there's a problem, you can say, God, guess what? She's your problem. He's your problem now. I just did what you told me. Boy, that's a good place to be, folks. Because you don't lay awake at night thinking, what did I do wrong now? No, God, you're the one that told me, and I've been doing my best to be right with you. So guess what? It's on you, Lord. We forge ahead simply because we feel confident in our own assessment. Dangerous place. Be careful with that. Okay? Listen, I, I, I'm like you. You know, we read newspapers, we listen to reports, we try to get information, whether it's financial, whether it's social, whether it's economic, whatever it might be, and you need to have information coming in all the time. God will utilize that. He'll bring things to your remembrance. He'll help you to understand things and see things the way they are. That's good. But again, before we make decisions, make sure that we let God have the decision. It's up to Him whether or not we make a league with Gibeon or not. It's not up to us. It's up to Him. The landscape of this life is forever being distorted by a false reality. Everything you see in life, for the most part, is fake. It's not real. Someone says, oh, you're going to get all sci-fi on us? No. But in reality, this is not the reality. Think about, think about eternity and think about earth now. Earth, according to the Bible, appears to be approximately 6,000 years old, contrary to evolutionists. But here's the bottom line. Think about eternity, uh, 6,000 years in light of eternity for a minute. How minuscule is that, really? It, it's non-existent, really. So this is really not reality, then. Eternity is. And we live in a false sense of reality here. And the devil's good at creating a reality, making us feel like this is what... This is all there is. See, let me explain. Let me give you a couple examples. The thought that the body is worth serving, that's a false reality. The Bible tells us, for bodily exercise profiteth little. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. 
See, the reality is, is that although bodily exercise profits, it profits little in comparison to feeding the spirit. Think about how much time you spend on your body every day. You say, I don't spend much time at all, man. I don't work out or nothing. Do you take a shower? A bath, maybe? I mean, do you, do you comb your hair? Do you put on makeup? Fellas, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> you get where I'm going? I mean, we spend time on our bodies. We're concerned about our bodies. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong. You know, the body's the temple and all that. I understand that. But what about feeding the spirit, though? How much time do we spend feeding this, focusing on the spiritual side, opposed to the physical? We work out, we jog, we walk, we take vitamins. We, we, you know, nowadays there's all these, like I say, infomercials on all these different types of equipment that help us to be the best we can be. It makes us the best we can be for about two weeks and then we put it away. But I'm just saying, the fact is, is that we spend a lot of money, a lot of time on this right here. But on this, how much time do we really spend? See, the reality is this is what's really most important. But we, in that false reality, think this is if we're not careful. Because that's what the world tells us. And that's what the devil has done. He's distorted reality. The belief that this life is all there is. What does he say? Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, to die is what? Okay, when's the last time you said, boy, I can't wait to die? Can't wait. It's awesome. Can't wait. Man, hope I get some bad news at the doctor's today. I mean, really, when's the last time you really thought that way? You want to know why? Because we live in a false reality. We think this is what it's really all about. We think that right here is really living. Don't we? I mean, I'm guilty of it. I was born into this. I live in it, and somehow I buy into it without even realizing it sometimes. So family members, friends, loved ones go on to heaven, and we're sad, yes, but hopefully that's all that it is, is sad for missing them. Hope we don't really get bitter toward God, seeing that this isn't really living anyway. This is just temporal. This is just for a little short time. That's really what it's all about. What about this thought? The philosophy of priorities in the world. In Philippians 3, 7, the Apostle Paul says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. What's he saying? The things that the world says are valuable, those mean nothing to me. Huh, look at this guy here. He's just relaxing. We'll get to him in a minute. I just like that picture. But what things were gained to me, those I kind of lost. He said, there was a point in my life when reputation, power, authority, uh, prestige, prosperity, all of those things meant something to me. They mean nothing to me, he says. They're nothing to me. He later on says, there, there, there is dung. Think about that now. What's the world? They, the devil has created a false reality. 
of what's valuable, what's important. In a false world, in a sense. It's, this is not really what it's about. We live this life in preparation for the next. Instead, today it seems we live this life as though it is all there is. And all we want to do is get as much as we can. It's so important to us to get as much as we can. Why? Because there's some priorities that the world says are important. I try to encourage the singles all the time. Get a good education. If God doesn't call you into the ministry, make good money so you can give and give and give to God's work. Not so you can live high on the hog and have a half a million dollar house and a Mercedes Benz sitting in the driveway and another house down at the beach and keep the money to yourself and say, look what I've got. No, if God will bless you with a $500,000 house, let me tell you what, you better be given like you got one. God help us to quit feeding the false realities of this world's priorities. Somehow believing that's what's important. It's not. It is not. Not one person in this world will regret the money that they have put into that right there in eternity. Now, it's going to be tough on some of us, and it's going to be tight. And we make, you know, decisions, and we say, Lord, you know, you lead me in this, then I'm going to have to do it, but Lord, you're going to have to really do it for me. And you're going, man, this is a lot more than I even thought. Start adding it up, you know what I mean. I hope you do. <laughs> but you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. You say, man, I could have cable and I could have internet and I could have phone all for that price I'm giving to that stuff. Man, I could have all the good stuff. You'll never regret not having cable in your house so that you can put it all in there. You'd never, you know, if you can have cable and still do that, praise the Lord for that too. Not, not opposed to it. I'm just saying, listen, the priorities of the world, that's it. Cable's not what it's about. Okay, that's all I'm saying. And the devil, he's got a false sense of reality here that he places on us. He's a liar, see? The idea that God is surely blessing because I'm prospering. Do you realize that is a lie? Do you ever, you ever think? Think about Moses. We talked about him the other day. Remember he struck the rock twice? What came forth? Water. Blessing. The mercies of God were poured out on them. Was it because he was obedient? No. Just because that's God. It's God's grace. See, just because we're prospering, the devil might want us to believe somehow that, well, then you must be right with God. You're doing all right. Well, God wouldn't be doing, wouldn't give you all that stuff if you weren't right with him, right? That's not true. It's not true at all. It's 1 Timothy 6, 5 and 6 says, Perverse disputings of men and of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Ouch. Withdraw what? Withdraw thyself? You mean God's telling me to separate myself from people who have the false philosophies of the world ingrained in their mind and heart? What, you mean I'm not, what? Well, that seems a little divisive. But godliness with contentment is great gain. This, with the, this is what God intends us to, to focus on, godliness with contentment. That's what he wants us to focus on. The world, although, says, man, listen, 
Gain is godliness. You got gain? You're godly. You're good. You're set. The false reality is created by Satan. He's the father of all lies. And that's what you have to understand. Every false idea, ideology, every false philosophy is a direct result of the, the devil, Satan himself. Okay? That's all there is to it. John 8, 44, you're of your father the devil, the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. We did some junior church stuff years ago, and, and I've talked about it probably before, but I still remember it to this day. I would get the kids all fired up, and we'd say, Satan, and we'd say, the devil is a liar. And they'd say, the devil's a liar. I'd say, no, the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. I'd say, no, the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. No, the devil's a liar. Before I know it, I'm jumping up and down, going crazy. And they're going crazy. You know what they never forgot? The devil's a liar. You know what we have forgotten sometimes? That the devil's a liar. Boy, is he a liar. Big deceiver. Dirty, dirty, rotten scoundrel. Satan is a liar and a deceiver. See, he, his reach extends to every area of our lives. You've you got to keep that in mind. You, you just, and I've got to keep it in mind. It's so easy to forget this. Physical, emotional, spiritual, social, economic, you name it. The devil's at the heart of it, the root of it. He, he is the God of this world, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Little g God, but he's still God nonetheless. It's turned over to him. He yielded authority to him. He's running the show. Economic, social, religious, all of it. He's running it all. Like their father, the devil, that is, the Gibeonites were liars. They were liars. And they had heard about the wonderful God, and they'd heard about the wonderful victories that God had given to the people of God, the Israelites. And they said to themselves, are you kidding me? We don't want to face them. We don't want to fight them. We will lose for sure. So they lied. They concocted this scheme and they approached Israel and said, guess what? We're from a far country. Guess what? We have heard of your God. Guess what? We've heard of your great might. And all along they're going, hmm, <laughs> our God. You've heard of him. Oh, us. Oh, <laughs> you've heard of us. All along, building them up that they might fall. You beware of somebody that praises you too much. You be real careful of that one. It's a different when you praise me, but, but uh, <laughs> beware of that. I never think that when you say, you know, you like me or like the things I've done. I, I love it, so just keep it up. I, I really like it a lot. <laughs> no. But their father, like the Gibeonites, were liars. They appeared to be the real deal. They did. They looked like the real deal. And you know what? It's easy for us. You know, we look at the, the, uh, Gibeonite, uh, the, the Israelites and we go, they were so stupid. I mean, think about it. I mean, these guys were supposed to be traveling all this time. And like, yeah, right. They took bread out of their ovens hot. It was perfect. And now they've carried it around with them all this time. And it's all moldy and everything. I mean, why would you carry moldy bread with you? 
What good's it do? It's just, you're just dragging it along. I mean, look at their shoes. They're all beat up and everything. Come on. I mean, they've had to travel for a mile and mile and mile, years and years. What, I mean, what do you guys do? You come from the other side of the equator? I mean, it makes no sense to me as I read this. It's like Israelites almost wanted to believe what they were hearing. It's almost like they just wanted to, to be lifted up and elevated. It's almost like their pride just got in there and they just thought, man, this is great. These people really adore our God. They adore us. Man, we are the, cre- we are the best here. Man, I tell you, the world knows and has heard about us. They were so deceived. And they, we think they're so stupid. But have you ever been deceived? By Satan? I mean, have you ever skipped on your Bible reading so that you could, you know, get an extra little bit of sleep? So you could worship the body a little more? I mean, have you ever skipped on your prayers? Because you had an opportunity maybe to spend a little bit of extra time with your wife? You ever neglect God's house because, well, it just seemed like a good idea at the time? Did you ever throw away your service to God? I mean, we don't get deceived like they do. Yes, we do. Why? Because we forget that Satan is real today. Even as the Israelites lost sight of God, they could not, they lost sight of God. that they thought they could make their own decisions. We lose sight of Satan and somehow forget that he deceives. They did too. There are those who are deceived by Satan to believe a lie and even perpetuate it. In the book of Corinthians, we note them. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel. I mean, it's no wonder, basically. It's, no, it's, it's obvious, he says, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, right there you have him. The devil is a deceiver. He's a liar. He makes things look good. You ever hear the old story or old adage? If it looks too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. If it sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Well, Gibeon, the Gibeonites came to Israel and it just was too good to be true. And all they thought was, yeah, we're pretty good shape. We can get, we can get figured out. It's all right. I see it with my own eyes. Look at them. Their shoes are worn out. Their clothes are tattered. I mean, they've got this moldy bread. They've got this wine that's all old and everything. Man, I'll tell you what. These guys have traveled a long ways. I, I can see that. I don't have to ask God about that. I, I'm not an idiot. Oh, oh, that's right. I forgot. You're somebody without God. That's right, Israel. You're somebody without God. Have you ever felt like you were somebody without God? I did. I felt that way before. I thought I was wise enough to make my own decisions, do my own things. I thought I could handle it. How'd that turn out for you? You know, probably the way it, same way it turned out for you. Doesn't turn out good for any of us. 
It certainly didn't turn out good for Israel. It's a bad move. A person may be very sincere, and there are some that will preach the gospel even, or a, another gospel, according to Galatians. And they will be as sincere as they can be, but they are as deceived as they can be. And you know what? You can be very sincere, but also sincerely wrong. You need to be real careful, and so do I with this. Not just in our spiritual walk, but in every bit of advice we get from people. Be so careful. The outcome, although Israel had been deceived, they were obligated. This is important. And, and I don't, I'm going to have time to talk to them about the next one, but the next one's going to be really interesting. But although Israel had been de deceived, they were obliged or obligated to uphold the covenant. Notice what it says in Joshua 9, 18 through 19. Now, now, this goes against what you and I would like to believe. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. <clears throat> and all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said unto all the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel... Now, therefore, we may not touch them. <laughs> what? They lied to you, man. Just three days earlier, they lied to you. You entered into a covenant with them based on a lie. Surely that doesn't, that nullifies it. You God can't possibly expect you to keep your end of the bargain because they lied. If they wouldn't have lied, you'd have never made the covenant. That's what we want to believe. That's how we want to receive and, and respond. But notice what they said. But all the princes said in the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. Our fault. We made the bad decision. We didn't pray and seek God's counsel. So therefore, guess what? Not just we princes who did not seek the Lord, but all of you who we serve will now pay the price. And they did. They did. Made any vows lately? Better be careful. Make them. Stay with them. Stick with them. Come on now. God's serious about this business. You say, well, I wasn't aware of this when I made the vow. You better not make vows till you get all the information until you've sought the Lord. If God would have told them to enter a covenant, which he already told them not to do that even prior to this and passages prior, then it would have been different. I don't care how much trouble they'd have ran into. They could always look to God and say, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but this was up on you. This is on you. But it wasn't on God. It was on them. And boy, Israel paid a great price. So the, what we learn, Israel made the mistake of asking not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. They rushed into a decision without ever seeking his face and allowing him to give them the answer. Please let me reiterate it again and, and just continue to remind you. It is not enough to pray about something. You must get an answer. And that's what we don't want to wait on. See, watch, this is how it works, okay? This is how we normally do it. That's a new car right there. 
one of them box style ones. <laughs> we pray and we say, Lord, you know we need a car, boy. Lord, that looks like a pretty good deal to me. You want us to buy that car, Lord? Lord, you want us to buy that car? Praise the Lord. Well, that car's a nice car, Lord. It fits perfect in our budget. Lord, we need a car. You know what we do? What? Who's this? Oh, this is the dealership calling. Oh, there's somebody looking at the car right now. No, hold on, hold on. No, seriously. We, no, we're going to get it. No, just hold on to it a little bit. Just, we're coming down there. Don't worry about it. Oh, all of a sudden, God hasn't spoken yet, but because it might not be there, we're going to rush down there and take care of business. We really don't wait for answers usually. We rush into situations, whether it's cars or houses or relationships, whatever it might be. We're afraid of losing them. When's the last time you lost something because you hadn't got a green light? You only had a yellow. The moment we get a caution, it seems like we're ready to move forward often in our prayer life. Or we just say, well, that's God's, God giving me the okay. Now, it's got to be green, guys. It's got to be green. That's all there is to it. And, and it'll behoove us to take time and let God help us. Okay, so Israel made the mistake of asking not counsel at the mouth of the Lord and miscalculating the enemy's desire and ability to deceive. Listen, don't ever underestimate the devil's ability to deceive you or your family or anyone else. He is quite capable of doing it. You better and I better seek the Lord. We better ask him for answers. He needs to give us the okay, the green light, not us, or we'll be in a mess. And then we'll wonder how we got there. Because all the signs are saying, go forward. The signs aren't enough. We need the voice of God.